Right, so if there's any mosquitoes squatting during this podcast, no, it's because there's mosquitoes around. Uh, today, I got Adam on the podcast, Adam Kavanagh. Um, you might have seen what he's up to a bit on some of our social media and such. We've been hanging out a bit and just want to yeah, have a bit of a bit of a chat. So, what'd you have for breakfast? Bacon, uh, eggs, and lamb, actually. Yeah. yeah. So you you just came and stayed with me for about a month or six weeks or something yep. a while back. We pretty much met through social media, <laughs> uh, probably through the Wim Hof crowd as well. Yeah. We had yeah, common definitely. connections there, and just sort of I was getting into farming, and you were like, uh, I can probably teach you a few things. Um, at that time, I guess you were going pretty hard with carnivore. Like, what yeah, what yeah, uh, what's been your experience with the like? What's it like just eating meat? Yeah, to be honest. Actually, it's probably the best I've felt in a couple of years. So I kind of stumbled across it through all the same channels as you probably like um, Dr. Sean Baker and a few other people I knew sort of trying it and Origins Nutrition. Yeah. And then um, to be honest, at first, I was pretty scared to try it because, uh, you know, like, Apparently you're gonna die if you don't eat veggies. Were you? Did you really think it was gonna do something bad to you? No, to, uh, you? to be honest, like I, I was a little bit like worried to step in, step into it, and not have veggies just with all the, with all the sort of stuff you get force fed about how you need veggies. And I mean, I'm not gonna say I'm like down one way, like one path more than the other, but in the beginning I was a little bit sort of worried to to think what my body might do to just eat meat but but yeah to be honest it's actually the best i've i have felt in a long time and, and even my my stomach and and even my bowel movements <laughs> and everything like i've just been unreal since doing it yeah so i guess for me like i you know i've been pretty honest about ongoing kind of health challenges being the real driver for my exploration of uh, nutrition and training like that's probably why i'm so interested in it when i've heard of carnivore like i was just getting a little bit of allergies a little bit of hay fever i've just been down at the roosters and i like just it sucks being in that environment when you have to worry about am i going to uh you know am i going to have an issue with my eyes being red and watery and shit while i'm trying to help people go to another level with their performance and you know, there's a superficial side to it, but there's a truth side to it of like, you're not your best to help other people if you're dealing with that shit. Like, so that was pretty much for me. It was like, well, fuck, it's, I've tried so much stuff. I've done like seven day fasts. I've done periods of veganism. I've done vegetarian. I've done all this stuff. May as well give this a shot because I'm not really happy with where I'm at right now. Like, did you have a bit of that? Like, not happy with where I'm at or I think there's another level. Yeah, to be honest, like, um, I like to be a bit, a bit of a guinea pig with this stuff and I would never, ever recommend something to anyone else unless I'd tried it first. And that's how I felt. And to be honest, like, I, I did think about it a bit and a lot of my issues that I was having at the time were food-related. And I guess if you look at it, most things that we're intolerant to are, like, nuts, seeds grains plants and that so i guess the more i thought about it i thought oh you know like maybe it could be a useful tool so that was definitely a, a, a big factor into why i did it 
to to yeah well hopefully try to alleviate some of the issues i was having because at the time like i thought i was doing everything right like i, I was it was getting really complicated like trying to um eat these plants not eat these plants you know have sweet potato but not white potato and i was getting a bit confused about like what was actually happening in my stomach so i guess looking back at it now yeah going carnival has been like a massive reset and it makes sense like like at, at first to be honest yeah it was a bit daunting but but now i've done it like it makes so much sense that yeah to give it all up and have a good reset so it wasn't uh just in case you're wondering anyone who's tuned in it wasn't wasn't my doing uh adam adam definitely made that you know call on his own he was probably going harder with it at the time than i was like I, I'd probably been through my super hardcore period with it and I was easing up a little bit on it and trying some other things, you know, when you came and stayed. But, yeah, I, I feel as though it's just such a powerful tool that so many people are dealing with gut issues and health issues. If you've got, health, if you've got gut issues, you've got health issues, whether you admit it or not. And to not have, to, to not have gut issues, like, it's, it's, it's such a blessing, you know, it's such a, a better life, you know better place to live from um i get uh, that probably fits in pretty well with being uh, a hunter yeah <laughs> like yeah. if you're going to be out bush and like what's the longest time you've spent sort of kind of off off grid um the the recent stint i did with my brother up in the gulf like you know still have access every few days to phone signal and i mean like if i needed the shops there but that was probably the longest stint that i've been mostly off grid for yeah so it was like a bit over two months yeah yeah so that's pretty good and literally did not buy any food from the shops in that time like only ate what we got with the bows and that's like a transition that you made like philosophically because if you if you feel like you need to eat veggies and you're out there in the bush, like how much veggies are there to eat? Yeah. To be honest, it's very seasonal. So I don't know if it's something like this. There definitely would be plants there that you could eat maybe all year round, but, but realistically everything's seasonal. So like there might only be like a month or three month window once a year, if the rain falls right, where you could actually, eat plants <laughs> and how how many calories are you going to get from a lot of those like yeah to be honest like you'd have to be eating that stuff all day to probably get the same energy requirements as like eating one bit of meat or something like that like it's it's not even in the same ballpark and there's a fair chance that by your time you've eaten that much of that shit that it's going to make you sick like did you ever have you had that experience of like eating too much of those bush plant foods up there and feeling not the best or not yet to be honest because that's sort of hard to collect enough to eat a big meal of it that yeah like I haven't yeah like I haven't found enough to actually have a really big meal of them yet so yeah you know it's not like going to the shops and buying a big bunch of bananas like it's you just can't like you, you literally just can't do that yeah that's I think it's good for people who look at nutrition and think about like different experiential ways to Oh, our ancestors ate heaps of plant food, so you know, carnivore is not natural. Well, you're in a natural environment there where if if there aren't a heap of the kind of 
humanized plants like you know bananas and watermelons and all these like these are very domesticated plants they're like dogs and cats in terms of like dogs and cats aren't real animals they're what we've done to animals to be able to live together with them and most of the plants that we eat are those kind of domesticated plants that aren't real plants if you're like properly out there in a in a rural environment like in, a, in outback australia like even though it's green right it's not like you're in the desert like where are we talking about we didn't even say where we're talking about like what, the, what part of australia are we saying here like um up in the gulf of carpentaria so basically in remote north australia like yeah far north queensland yeah so it's not dry or it's well, it's basically dry. dry all year round, except for when we have the wet season up around like December, January. And then, yeah, like it's totally turns into a different environment. Like it's completely wet. Similar to Darwin climate or not? Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. But yeah, like, yeah, so yeah, I think it's a good thing for people. Like if someone, if you took a friend up there who was vegan, and they was like, yeah, let's hang out. Let's let's do this survival thing together. Who's going to do better? To be honest, like, I don't even know. Like, You'd want to have some good fat stores going in. <laughs> Unless you had, like, an extreme knowledge on plant foods, like, it, it would be nearly impossible, I think. <laughs> is, that, is that the local way? If you, if you talk to local and said, like, let's do, let's do plants only for two months, do you think you'd have a local who'd buy in, like a, an Indigenous Australian? Not at all. Like my friends up there, my indigenous mates up there, to be honest, the like definitely the the berries and the fruits that come along in the wet season are something like that that that, that they love to, to try and eat. But it's not something that they that they talk about. Like whenever we hang out up there, it's never like, oh let's go collect berries. It's always like let's go fishing, let's go hunting because that's like that they know and it's always about chasing animals that have high quality fat so they're always after the fat and chasing animals like the the plants maybe along the way like will pull up and you know eat some berries and stuff like that but it's never that's never the intent and that's never yeah like even from what i've i've gathered so far by hanging around up there is that I think the plants are sort of secondary and fat, fat is primary. And that's yeah. Yeah, sort of what drives what they hunt and seek out. Yeah, I mean, so if we talk in three macros, they're looking for the protein foods that have fat because the protein's going to be there. Yeah. Like every, every animal has a, a, a content of protein. The question is, is it going to be fatty? Like that's, that blew me away. Like living out at Fink, it blew me away. We would go hunting for ruse and, you you know, kill it. And sometimes it was a big effort to kill it. Or maybe it could be the first one that we found in like three, four hours being out there driving around in a car. It wasn't traditional hunting, but be shot. And then you'd go up to it and they'd, they'd cut down the middle and have a look how much fat's there, squeeze the tail a little bit. And they'd be like, no, no, we'll leave it. I'm like, fuck, look at this fucking, there's like, you know, 30 kilos of meat there at least. Like, we just spent, you know, half a tank of petrol getting this thing. Like, let's just, you know, why don't we just take it and eat it? Like, like obviously that was what I was thinking. I didn't tell them what to do, but I, I was just trying to learn and trying to understand 
you can see why dingoes and that would have loved to hang around him because they'd be like, yeah, you go for your life on this one. We don't, we don't want it. It's like, far out. Like there's a, that's paradise for a dog, you know? Um, but that was always the measure. Like they wanted the, they wanted the fatty ones. And that was, I don't know if they were trying to work that out at a distance or with the seasons or anything. It didn't, I couldn't pick up on anything like that, but um, how did, did they know when things were going to be fattier or was it really a matter of like kill it and then work it out? Like, did they leave stuff behind like that? Yeah, they, they it actually, yeah, I, I was pretty surprised too. <laughs> I was pretty surprised too to see that. Like with, yeah, definitely with like, say, um, we'll call them the, the plain turkey. That's what they call them out there. It's definitely um, seasonal when they will be their fattest. Yeah. And that's pretty much like, that's the only time that you, the only time of year when they will actively seek them out. And um, my mate did did shoot one. And then, yeah, same thing, walked up, looked at it, and he's just like, yes, we'll just leave it. And I was like, yeah, like, what? <laughs> but, um, like, that hasn't happened too many times, but, but like, we will we'll go out, and there's a lot of wild um, cattle up there. We could see, like, 100 cattle, and they won't, they won't even bother shooting any of them, like, because they're just not fat. So... Yeah. Like, yeah, like they are pretty, pretty fussy about the animals that they'll eat. Like, if they're not top-notch quality, like <laughs> they're getting left out there. When do you see fat ones? For people who have no idea about farming and agriculture, like you have a bit of farm background growing up in that. Yeah, up there, to be honest, it was sort of hard to say because the cattle, to be honest, um, it was probably the driest that had been. Like yeah. it's ever been up there uh, when I was up there and the cattle were actually still pretty, pretty fat. So yeah, I'm not too sure how to judge for them. Like I do know a lot of the native animals. It seems to definitely be around the wet season is when, when, when times are good and the grass is green. Yeah. yeah like a lot of the wallabies and plain turkeys and um, yeah, like winners and everything. Like it's probably when it's going to be at its fattest. Or, or just after the wet season, like yeah. After they've stockpiled again, but yeah. It's generally, like when the grass is growing fastest, isn't yeah. it? And then yeah. If the grass isn't growing fast, then the animals don't don't get fattened up as much. So yeah, like definitely out there in the drought, um, in the hard times, like yeah, the animals are literally like just dying off and just completely, yeah, skinny as. But what would the locals go like? I know now. There are shops, and the scenario is different. But like, what would you, what would be the go tos during those times? Do you think? Yeah, the the wild cattle up there. To be honest, even in the really hard times. So when I was up there, it was definitely in drought. The cattle were still on the yeah. cards. They yeah. were still like they're they're pretty hardy animals. Like, so you're not going to get like that rabbit starvation. Like, a, cattle are always going to have decent bit of fat on them. And then I guess the seafood as well would be seafood to be a go-to yeah pretty much the main food sources that were sought after when i was up there it was either we'd go chasing gawenna wild cattle plain turkeys pigs or otherwise it was just a trip to the coast to just load up on barramundi seafood salmon yeah one or the other yeah how far would you travel in a day on foot by car yeah, to be honest, up there, 100 k's to do anything 
is a pretty standard drive. And then on foot, um, like, I don't know, my mates personally, like maybe not as much walking, but like it would be easy for me to do 10, 20 Ks a day, seeking stuff out easy. Yeah. So you need your food to be pretty fatty. Like you think about like people living there a long time ago, they, they needed the animals to be fatty. Otherwise you cover all that distance. And then if you don't get sort of cheap calories, uh, then you're pushing shit uphill. Like protein is not a great energy source. You're going to use it structurally, but you don't want to be using that protein as primary energy. Right. So like I think a lot of the stuff that we're working out in nutrition now and even like experimenting with carnivore, I've definitely had the experience of getting like ammonia. So like way too much protein for my body to use. And it starts like sort of coming out of the body, like excessive nitrogen. That's, that's exactly what they would have been. Like that's why they don't want the, the lean roux or whatever and you smash in the muscle meat. Um, maybe touch on organ meats. Is, uh, you, I know you've sort of been in a scenario where there's been a kill. What's the priority? Is Are people looking for the for the uh, the lean cuts or, you know, where where's the priority for people who understand how to survive? <laughs> to be honest, um, whenever my mates go out to, to get a wild cow or, yeah, like a anything like that, <clears throat> the organs are always primary and they will argue over who gets which organ. And, and yeah, like, so there, there was a lot of organs that, that I didn't know about. There was like the milk gut, um, sweet bread, a lot of these other organs, and they were the ones that were that were getting like heavily argued over. Like sweet who, bread, the spleen, nah, spleen, nah. I don't know what sweet it is. Um, just up, uh, yeah, just up the top of my head, I can't remember. Mm. But yeah, it's like a real fatty mm. little liver. Know. Are they big on liver or? Yeah, no, they definitely yeah. yeah. Liver's got. Got brought home. Yeah, basically every organ, uh, even the gut, the gut got emptied and it got brought home. Yeah, everything. Yeah, everything. People think guts are disgusting, but I think in herbivores, it's just it's just grass and fermenting grass. Like it's not actually really that disgusting. Yeah. The whole poo tube thing. Yeah, like, not at all. Honestly, guts, like, yeah. The, the more you see it, the more you sort of realize you're like, yeah, it's just pigs though. Grass. Pigs. Poo tube. Um, Intestines. Yuck or not yuck? I don't know. There's like in Australia, especially with feral pigs, a lot of people won't eat them because of uh, like worms and stuff. Yeah, teeth like I think that's tuberculosis or um, this other one. There's a few diseases that are that are meant to be in the pigs here. I have thrown all caution to the wind and I've been eating them and I've been fine. But I've had a few people tell me to. Um, just be a bit cautious with the, some of the organs in the pig. So, like, I'll stick with maybe like the liver. Probably, like, yeah, like check all the organs over. But mainly, like, yeah, with the pig, like, I'll eat the heart. I won't touch the stomach at this stage, just because where I've been hunting the pigs, maybe it's not the best quality food that they're eating. Like, they're eating a lot of rotten, rotten kangaroos, rotten horses. So, like, yeah, I haven't quite got there with the pigs just yet, but but with the cattle, they're like, yeah, it's not a drama. And the male male pig meat can be pretty full on. Yeah, I, I did find, and my, and my brother found too, we ate the boars and then we would smell like the boars <laughs> after eating them. 
yeah, like it, it, it'd be like the smell that lingered for like yeah, a good week or two. You just I ate the nuts on one of the ones that I killed here, yeah. and it was it was yeah, like it wasn't actually it's kind of sausagey kind of meat and not that bad, but yeah, I reckon it was coming out of me for at least a couple of weeks. You know, like the the oils of it or whatever. It's uh, yeah, you are what you eat, I guess. Apparently, they're not as bad the nuts on other animals, bulls nuts and stuff. Is it? Uh, have you had them on the? I've only or? had young. Yeah. I've only had young, young ones. I haven't. I haven't full uh, strength. Yeah, I haven't had full, the full strength this yet. <laughs> but um, actually, when my mates have killed boar, and I have heard of a few other people doing it, like to be honest, I'm not quite sure. Like with some animals the quicker you are at removing certain organs in the body will affect how the meat tastes. So yeah. like, say you were going to eat a shark. If you get rid of the, um, uh, there's like the sweat bladder. There's also a uh, few what it is like the, the quicker you can get the blood out of that animal, the better it's going to taste like a shark. If you didn't bleed it properly before you ate it, it's going to taste like ammonia and same with the pigs. Like, my mates, if they were eating boar, they would castrate it straight, like straight away, straight away, and then they they reckon that like it would taste better then. Yeah, yeah. To remove like the so yeah, maybe like part of the stress response and stuff yeah. around when they're dying, like they're getting a huge drive of like, well, let's release as much testosterone as possible to try and survive this really deadly situation. And maybe some of that activation metabolically keeps squeezing that shit into the into the system. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'll have pigs again in the near future. Just uh, logistically, it was a big challenge and whatever. But uh, if I do, or if I go hunting and get one, then I'll probably probably knock the nuts off it pretty quickly. Any other pearls of wisdom? What if uh, if the if the zombie apocalypse comes tomorrow? What are what are three things that people should be doing or skills they should be building to uh, to prepare for a time without Uber Eats? Yeah, right, yeah. To be honest, to break it down in the most simplest form would be food, water, shelter, mm. I guess. Yeah. Had, Three basic needs. Yeah. How are you gonna how would what are people gonna eat if if the, if the shit goes down? I know there's not that many plant foods around here, even though there's a few banana plantations and stuff. But they're only, you know, good when they're good. They'd probably be pretty sort out but you know to be honest most people don't realize it but like we have a pretty big population of feral animals in australia and like even around cities like melbourne sydney there's like massive deer populations right on the outskirts of town like even sometimes so you're gonna say into, rats then the rats yeah. in london well, that, that, you're, that as well like you're meant to be never more than five or ten meters from a rat when you're in london yeah like i guess if you really had the but yeah, they go all out. Like there's food everywhere. Like, yeah, you get geckos in your house. You <laughs> like in our house, you do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, all the birds around and yeah, deer. There's huge deer populations in Australia yeah. that we don't necessarily know about. Yeah, pigs. 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 What else is in Australia? Yeah, we've got six species of deer. I guess maybe more if you break them up into their subcategories. I'm gonna see if I can scare those geese off. You, yeah, you, you keep running through all that. So we've got like six species of deer, uh, goats, pigs, foxes, cats, rabbits, hares, uh, camels, donkeys, wild horses, wild cattle. Yeah. 
feral animals. Get out of there. Geese are like trying to tear the door. Geese are trying to tear the door off over there. They already ate through one fly screen. I think we've got three boys and I think they're they're a bit loopy. Uh, yeah, we just had our first duck harvest uh, a couple of days ago. Any, any yeah, reflections on the duck? Yeah, to be honest, um, like I've I've defeathered a few um, birds now. I don't know why that duck was definitely the most challenging one to date. So yeah, yeah, solid, was, solid old duck. So so I train grip strings quite quite a lot. If you're watching the uh, the video, you can see me flexing my forearms. I don't know if they're impressive or not, but I, I train grip strength a lot, right? And I can squeeze their captain of crush uh, number two and not that many people can close that one. Like that's a good level to get to if your life requires grip strength. If you're in armed forces, if you're an athlete, rugby player, wrestler, whatever, you should be able to close that. And I guess uh, I'm encouraging Adam to get to that. But when it actually came to plucking the duck, <laughs> you know, and, and, and there's a, there was a TV show in Australia, a you probably too old or in other countries or whatever you don't know about, but there's a TV show in Australia called Pluck a Duck or a segment inside a TV show. And it was like a prize thing. And it had zero significance to me as a child that this was actually built around, well, most people actually know how to pluck a duck to, to eat it. Like there's so many of these references, like the cream rises to the top and all that sort of stuff. Like my grandparents were dairy farmers, but in the modern age, cream has become a bad food because we've fucking lost our minds and think that we need to be avoiding fat while, you know, carbs and sugar are fine. But the yeah the, the experience of plucking the duck my hand got very tired the palm of my the thumb pad especially was was very tired and uh i noticed that yeah like that with that long duration work it was a different different type of work i think that's what like where fat farmers hands you know they get very very thick like laterally thick because they just do so much work and thickening in the palms and all that sort of stuff like tough skin but also the muscles but that was yeah. That was a bit of a bit of an adventure, um, and the head didn't pop off quite as no. <laughs> quite as expected when we were. Uh, well, Adam was doing the deed, and uh, yeah, we ended up doing a bit of teamwork to, to chop it off as well. But it's, um, I mean, yeah, you can't. I think we can't talk about all this hunting and stuff without discussing the concept of death. Like, yeah, are you gonna die? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's gonna die at some stage. Mm, how do you feel though about like taking taking the life when you're out there? Um, yeah, to be honest, like in some ways, we're all we're all pretty disconnected from from everything, to be honest. But yeah, especially like where our food comes from, we're especially disconnected. And I've been lucky enough when I was young growing up to be raised on a cattle property. You know, I got to see the, I got to see what really goes on. Like, you know, I know, I know how the food lives before you eat it. And then I've got to see cattle get harvested. Like I've been part of it since I was a little kid. So in that regard, I was pretty lucky. And then obviously went away for, from it for a lot of years when we moved to town. But then to sort of get back into it again now, like I'm, I'm lucky that I had that in the past. So I kind of have a, a more of a, a, a deeper appreciation for it now. But, but yeah, like, I mean, it's not like, it's just something that I think it's good to be aware of, to, to know, have, to have a bit more of an understanding about where your food actually comes from. Because, you know, most people 
you know, you just go to, go to Woolies, get your steak, you know, it's all good. Like, <laughs> there's a bit more to it. Yeah. There's got, yeah. Do you recall, like, was it, because people worry about it with my kids. Like, the kids, they watched us kill the dark. They wanted to look at the head when the head was no longer attached to the body. Like, my, you know, Maya's just about to turn five. My brother was here with his wife, and I think she was a little bit unsettled by it, which is, you know, as an adult, it's confronting if you haven't had those experiences. And I know it's been a huge experience for me, you know, doing the deed. I, I You know, the first animal that I harvested, I got Adam on FaceTime and used technology to how to actually butcher it because it's, you know, that's a whole different, you know, challenge and conversation itself. But by far, like the butchering, all that stuff is not, I don't find it very challenging, whether it's because of anatomy lessons and all that sort of stuff. Like I've worked with cadavers and that sort of thing. And once it's done, it's done kind of thing. But within those, those few seconds of extinguishing the life, like that's, that's a very, very intense moment. And I think you, you realize like the vulnerability and preciousness of life, but yeah, getting the kids, like they just, they wanted to see the head, like they're curious about it. They don't judge it. Like they just, it's just something that happens in their environment. And I don't, think it's a bad thing you know or people some people would think it's like almost like child abuse or something yeah i'm not putting the blood on them or making them do it or anything you know in, intense and you know maybe those things i'm not saying those things would be bad things either but um yeah i mean like i if it's if it's something that you're exposed to as a kid i guess it just becomes pretty normal and it's, it's probably yeah did you have a period where you stopped doing it? Like where you weren't around that for a while, like working in you know, the time in the mines and that sort of stuff? Yeah, like definitely as a teenager. And we ended up like traveling around Australia a fair bit as kids. And then through that period, like definitely right up until I was probably 18, 19, the like, yeah, hunting or just any sort of thing to do with that um, had all sort of, yeah, like I hadn't, hadn't done any of that for a long time until I sort of left school and then sort of stumbled back into it again. But yeah. yeah, so was it intense when you went back into it? Like you probably weren't thinking that it was going to be... Yeah, definitely. Like I think the way you do it too changes yeah. the way you think about it. Like, yeah. I, like I know a lot of people that might rifle shoot. You're not as close to the animal. You can't. You know, it's not, sort of done by the time you get there almost like yeah. you do it at a distance yeah it's a lot it's a lot faster it's a lot lot quicker process but like say you bow hunt you're like yeah you can hear it breathing you can hear it eating and you have to be close enough like 30 meters or less generally like yeah it's a lot it, it's a lot more powerful kind of experience so but I don't know, like, just the random one to throw you, like, it, it's weird that, like, we'll look at hunting as being a bit of a taboo and a bit of a weird thing to do, but, like, every, like heaps of people do fishing when you're really doing the same thing at the end of the day, but, like, one's kind of frowned upon, the other one's, like, yeah. like whatever, it's, like not, like, not a thing to go. Yeah, yeah, someone holds up a massive fish on, yeah. on social media, it's, like, cool. You hold up the head of a of a pig or a cow, which I which I've done. 
and people people are like, oh, you're barbaric. Like, how do you do that or whatever? Like, and other people are like, cool, you're, you're getting in touch with nature and I actually like to do that. Like I had a friend fly out from Sydney specifically to harvest a, a pig with me because he eats meat and he wanted to understand the process that every one of his ancestors has probably been through up until sometime recently, one, two, three, four generations back at some stage, you know, for me, I think it's every generation up to my father, like that had been their reality. And then, you know, dad had the experience made with chickens, but every generation before that, they harvested animals. And I'd go one step further than what you're talking about with fish. If, if you're eating a loaf of bread, if you're eating anything that's come from a harvested field, that's a, that's a field of death. Like the, the tractor, you know, all the things like there's animals going through, the birds will follow behind the machines, those big combine harvesters and such to eat anything that's in there or there's nothing at all in there because it's so toxic because there's so many chemicals in it that the birds don't even fly over it. The rats don't even go in there. So either way, it's, it's a big field of death. And you know, like there's no, there is no death free food. Like an, an, a plant doesn't want to die. The plant wants to pass its genes on, but around that plant, there's, there's a lot of death of animals for monocultures and such, and you displace their environment and, and all those sorts of things. So, I think that the it's I feel like it's an infantile like childish point of view to be like no I don't want to engage with death like it's just, you're simply closing your eyes to the reality of life like you you really you know you need to go and watch Lion King like there is a circle of life like things die and and if if things stop dying things are going to get nasty real soon like you just you can't stop the cycle like it's um it's yeah. a funny thing like do you, have you had much like hate or pushback from how you're living or how you choose to live oh uh, yeah definitely not not too much i guess but uh, definitely there has been the odd person that has tried to get into an argument with me about what i'm doing but like if you really look at it at the end of the day like no one can escape like yeah like exactly what you're saying like some people might try to justify what they're doing by like let's say just not eating meat but but realistically like no matter what you do there's definitely death involved around what you're doing like whether it's bugs death but then like why why is that lesser than something bigger or yeah like and i can understand like like in the perfect world like it would be so cool to not to but i mean i can understand why people would not want to have anything to do with it but then that's that's the disconnection is that like you can't really escape it? Like it's it's there, but we're just so disconnected from it that we think that by not being part of it, that we're not being part of it. But it's just not the case at all. Like for me, for me, doing the killing has really affirmed the preciousness of life because yeah. I know that it, that's what it looks like to be over. Like in your hands, in some kind of accident. Like anyone you care about. Like it's not no fundamental difference in how long it takes for a life force to disappear from a pig or a goat as, as, as one in family. And so it's the preciousness of that. But I think if you try to deny death, then you kind of deny life. Like, and it sounds, I guess, like a big, very philosophical statement. But for me, that's really what it sort of affirmed is like, well, yeah, this, this is what it's like and this is going to happen to me. And the quote that I was looking at this morning, the stoic quote is like, don't you know don't crave death or don't fear death most of it's already happened because like all the days that are gone behind you like 
they're already gone and they you know you're experiencing that death all the time of moments that you'll never get back um i think that's you know that preciousness of life is kind of what comes out of it for me 100 percent, yeah yeah that's that, like that that's spot on that's exactly how i describe the hunting for me too or the taking of any animal's life is that like yeah you definitely learn to appreciate what's really going on like yeah, yeah like how precious life is uh, yeah. but that's what i mean that's the disconnection that that most people have yeah just because you're buying from the supermarket or you know whatever you're buying you're just removing yourself from the reality further and further so if you want to be yeah like i'm really really removed from reality because I'm, I'm i'm vegan I'm, not, I'm only eating plants if you're eating rice or if you're eating wheat or whatever there is a death toll to that it's potentially even bigger like if, if we kill a cow here we can live on that for how long yeah like weeks yeah so we can have one animal that lives right next to us there's heaps of grass here there's one animal that lives there every every you know couple of weeks we we kill one every few weeks we kill one like what is the environmental cost of that there's no transport cost there's no there's no fuel there's no need for herbicides and pesticides like that is the reason why i believe that there's there's the push against meat is because there's just no money in it there's no people don't get sick so there's no pharmaceutical there's no you know food production thing the sugar all that sort of stuff like it's uh you know it's a big call but you know it's it's good that it's a conversation that that's been had um more and more we've got a we only got a couple of percent here left on the battery so we'll um maybe finish up a bit of chat around uh around your training and around your sort of that sort of journey over the last little while like what have you been working on why do you why is that part of your system um been trying to to nail the handstand um because it's so challenging that's that was the draw and the and yeah like i'm struggling with that one and mostly to be honest because i've been traveling australia for a while i've sort of put weightlifting and the gym sort of stuff to the side and just been doing heaps of like body weight calisthenics training but yeah just at the moment um yeah i'm pretty keen to get back into the gym so i've been doing a few few weightlifting sessions uh, lifting sessions and yeah like that's that's been the training again now just getting back into that stuff like yeah it's good to yep. touch on it again so, we might go and do yeah. that when we're done with this yeah good. get some more training <laughs> we had a big uh big breakfast go and uh, put that put that to use we didn't get to touch on breathing stuff which i know has been a, a big part of uh your life but also i have notes i haven't even got my notes open but, um yeah we didn't get to touch on your photography and social media too much either but that's probably not a bad place to leave it on i don't necessarily want to do the how can people get him off yeah no, but um you should check out adam's social media on his uh instagram he puts some some serious uh quality into his, his photography and that sort of thing and there's definitely passion um in his photography my wife's getting into photography so if you see some high quality images popping up on my Instagram, just uh, know that it's my wife that's that's doing it. Um, they're not professional photo shoots, but um, yeah, she's having a go at learning the photography as well. But, um, what's your what's your Insta handle there for uh, anyone who wants to check out your photos? Um, just Adam Kavanagh. Yeah, yeah I mean, the H on. at the end, isn't it? Is, yeah. is that how everyone spells Kavanagh? Oh, it's like spelled a million a lot different, different ways. ways yeah. But I'm sure I found You'll track it. Down. Yeah, if anyone wants to find it, they'll find it. It's part, part of the part of the hunting mission. Yeah, yeah. I'll probably um, I'll probably tag it as well in there somewhere. But yeah, I mean, I'm tagging you every day now, yeah. a couple of times a day on in my Instagram, and I'm making 
making fun of you or training with you or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. Yeah, maybe we can touch base again in the future. And if you're listening and there's something that you really like to hear from Adam about specific skills around survival hunting or, um, yeah, around the photography or the, yeah, that sort of thing, we can, uh, probably do this again at some stage when you when you're calling in next but we've threatened to do this for a while so yeah yeah thanks for having me on that, man good that we actually did it yeah thanks for thanks for jumping on and uh, yeah talk talk again soon cheers man thanks cheers